I'd like you this morning, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 23, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23, praise the name of the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 23, I'm going to read from the NIV uh, today, pretty much every, every time I am reading from the NIV, though Lately, I have gone back and forth. If you purchase an NIV today, you will get a version that is a little bit different than the one that we have been using for many, many years. Um, it is known as the, new, the NIV 2011 version. Um, I, I don't really, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, if it's a little bit different, that's okay. But I'm reading from the older NIV today. Uh, and I want to talk to you this morning about and on the subject of powerful prayer. Powerful prayer. If, if there is anything that I believe that the devil wants to silence in the church, it is prayer. Uh, I heard Pastor Simbola say many years ago, and just recently heard him say it again, uh, at uh, the District Council of the Assemblies of God here in Illinois um, said, you know, many times we, the church worries about the fact and we, we kind of jump on the fact. I'm not saying it the way that he said it, but, you know, we get concerned about the fact that there's no more prayer in the school, that we think that that has been the real downfall to our society and the problem. He said the bottom line is the problem is not that there's no more prayer in the school, it's that there's no more prayer in the church. And when the church ceases to pray, we cease to be powerful. When you in your individual Christian life, not just collectively as a body and as a church, but when you as an individual cease to pray, you cease to have power in your life. Because prayer is that lifeline to God. It is that time where you spend with Him, where you get to know Him and He can then in turn pour into your life something that you need for that particular day. And maybe what you need for that particular day has nothing to do with you making it through that day. It has to do with you accomplishing the very thing that God has laid upon your heart to accomplish for His kingdom. And you know what, brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, God has called us for greater things than just making it through the day. Some of you go to a job. You go to a job that's tough. Maybe you go to a work environment where there's, you know, you're the only Christian. You're the only light that there is in that place. You're the only one who is able to, you know, who knows Christ, who has had an experience with Christ. You need to be prayed up more than anything else when you go to that job. Because you know what? You don't know who you're going to encounter that will need something on that day that is greater than what a bottle can provide, greater than what some, kind of, some drug will provide, that will be greater than, than some relationship can provide. You've got a relationship that can provide all the answers to their life, and it's a relationship with Jesus. But if you haven't been communing with Him that day, I wonder how the conversation will go. You see, powerful prayer comes in our lives when we keep that pipeline open. When we keep the lines of communication open with God. And David found himself in a position and in a situation 
where over and over again, and it's, it's an interesting study, if you were to look into the, the Scriptures and look in Samuel, uh, in both First and Second Samuel, and you find about the times that David, the Bible says about him, uh, the writer of Samuel says uh, about David that he inquired of the Lord. You'll find that it's many times. Now, it might not say it just that way. It might say it in a different way. And so the number of times, the amount of times that David inquires of God, that he reaches out to God and prays for an answer from heaven, is it's sort of staggering by comparison to some of the other kings that we read about in Scripture. In fact, David is the gold standard. He's the one that we hold up. In fact, as you read through in the Kings and in Chronicles and uh, as, as those other kings come to be and David is long gone, the Bible talks about some of those kings that they either did or did not walk in the ways of their father who? David. So David is somebody that we can say, Lord, help me to emulate in the way that he talked to you and he cried out to you. I want us to read, starting at verse 1, we're going to read down through to verse 12. And the Bible says this. It says, when David, now just to give you, before we start reading, when da- give you a little context, David is on the run uh, from King Saul. David does not have a home. Uh, David is at this point, uh, for the most part, he and about 600 of his men, they're out living in caves. They're out dodging uh, Saul's army. Saul is just on a war path, not against the Philistines. In fact, we're going to read a a part here in a passage here where David is going to step in and take care of the Philistines when essentially that should have been Saul's job as the king. But Saul is so far gone, he's so far away from God, he doesn't, he doesn't know God, he doesn't love God, and now all of his pursuit and his energies is placed on going after David and trying to destroy David's life. And this is where we find and pick up David at this point. But I want you to see in verse 1, the Bible says, when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Caleb and are looting the threshing floors. Now, you have to understand what was happening here The Philistines were fighting. They were not only killing people, but they were stealing food. The threshing floors were vital, a vital source of food and a vital vital place of food, essentially manufacturing of one, one sort. They're threshing wheat on these threshing floors. They're going in and they're stealing the food from these people. Now notice what David does in verse 2. It says, He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines, and save Caleb. But David's men, I want you to notice this, these 600 mighty men, these 600 warriors that are with him, said to him, here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more than if we go to Cala against the Philistine forces? Let me point this out, and I'm sort of getting ahead of myself in the message here. But in the New Living Translation, it points out that they are referring to the whole Philistine army. They are saying, we're no match. Here's David, mighty warrior of God, mighty, mighty warrior. He hasn't become king yet, but anointed king. 
He is a man of God, just sought the Lord, just got a word from God, and now there's a bunch of naysayers. Now there's a bunch of guys talking in his ear, being negative, saying, no, this isn't going to work out. Listen, we're 600 guys, and we're going against the whole Philistine army? Seriously? Let's move on. It says here in verse 4, it says, Once again David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Calah, for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Calah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Calah. Now Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Calah. Saul was told that David had gone to Calah, and he said, God has handed him over to me, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. Notice, Saul isn't even... He's not, Philistines are not even on his radar. David is. He's so occupied and preoccupied. And Saul called up all his forces for battle. Notice this. To go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod. David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant, Here we are, three times in this passage, he's calling out to God. Your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Calah and destroy the town on on account of me. Will the citizens of Calah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. Now I want you to see this. And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Calah surrender me and my men to Saul? Get this. David has just fought a battle to help these people, and the Lord said, they will. What an incredible passage. This is often how prayer works. And this is often what happens when you pray. It seems as though when one battle has been won, Another one is right on its heels. We're busy celebrating the one victory. We're busy saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, for this answer to prayer. And all of a sudden, something else is beginning to to transpire and something else is happening in the background. We want to ignore it and say, no, it's not going to happen that way because I just want a great victory in prayer. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that oftentimes in our belief, in our Christianity, when we pray for an answer, something else begins to happen. Do not think it's strange that that is taking place. It's like what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, listen, don't think it's strange at the fiery trial that has come to you. It is to try you. You say, but I've just gone through a fiery trial. Guess what? There's going to be another one coming along the way. So how are we going to defeat it? With powerful prayer. I want you to notice, first of all, this. Verses 1 and 2, it tells us what to do before the battle. It's very important. Pray. Pray before the battle. 
Pray before the battle. You say, I know something's coming. I know something's up. And you know what? Many times we spend a great deal of time trying to devise how we're going to handle this particular thing, what it is that we're going to say, what we're going to do, all of those things. And we're, we're thinking about it and we're worrying about it and we get all worked up and our, you know, the ulcers kick in and, and all of a sudden now we just, you know, we don't feel as good as we felt before. We feel a little down and discouraged and but we, we sort of approach it like, well, you know, it's life. It's what I have to do. You know what? Can I encourage you today that the one thing that we have to learn to do, it is to pray before the battle takes place. Begin to call upon God anytime you read those godly kings in the Old Testament. Those that were godly learned how to do this. David was certainly the greatest example of those who learned how to pray before the battle. We get in further, and Jehoshaphat, who the Bible says was one who walked in the ways of his father David, also learned how to do that, to pray before the battle begins. Brothers and sisters, for us, we have to recognize that prayer is vital before anything begins to take place. Now, he prayed because there was a need. Notice this. David saw in this situation that there was a need. David was far away, at least, at least a little ways away. David was a little ways away, but he was close enough that he could get to the need. The need was the Philistines are coming into this Judean town, and they are they're killing people, they're fighting against them, they are ripping them off, they're stealing their food, they're going to be in a desperate destitute situation unless somebody does something about it and Saul is up in his you know he's up in his his throne room in his palace and all he can think about is David David this guy David and David is down there saying you know somebody's got to do something about these Philistines because they're running roughshod all over the land so David prays he sees the need and oftentimes when you begin to pray it is as a result and it should be as a result of a need. So often when we come to a place of need in our lives, we sit around and wonder how it's all going to work out. You know what, folks? I have been reminded time and time again, when there is a need, we've got to pray. When there is a need, we've got to bring it to the Lord. We've got to inquire of God and say, God, how can I help in this need? You know, sometimes we look around at the need and we just say, well, you know, I really wish somebody could meet that need. And then we walk away and we don't do anything else about it. But listen, when there is a need, we have to learn that it's our responsibility. It's our job as believers, as Christians, to pray and to call upon God. You say, but wait a minute, if I really pray, then maybe God will point his finger at me and say, you do something about it. Which is exactly what happened in this, in this case. But if that's the case, then pray for the willingness to do what it is that God wants you to do rather than sit back and say, well, God, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I'm the one. You know what? If you're the one, he'll make you the one. You may not feel like the one. You may not feel in your heart as you'll, you're somebody who can minister in that kind of a situation. But you know what? The Bible tells us that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. If God is able to take somebody like me who is so shy as a kid, you wouldn't even believe it. Trust me, I'm so shy. To, to put me behind a pulpit and do this, God can do anything. 
If God is able to take your life and cause you to be what it is that He wants you to be, God is able to change the situation He is able to make. Look, if God was able to save you, isn't He able to now equip you to work and to do what it is that He wants you to do? David's out there praying, calling on God. God, should I go down and help save this, this city that is just being destroyed by the Philippines? Uh, Philippines. I seriously said it was the, see, Choli, the Philippines who just run roughshod. Oh, that's one of those that are, you know, they're like YouTube worthy, but we have no videos going, trust me. Uh, we throw all the videos out. The Philistines! I gotta have, if my recording's still working, I'm gonna have to edit that one. The Philistines are running roughshod! And David is saying, Lord, should I go down and should I defend this, this city, this, this town that is just being completely destroyed? You see, he saw the need. And a lot of times when we see the need, we just sort of sit back and don't do anything about it. Listen, when you see a need, pray. Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, he said as he looked out over the crowds and he looked out over the people that he was ministering to, and the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, at the end of that chapter, that he saw that they were people who were harassed. They were like sheep without a shepherd and they were harassed. He said, listen, I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into the harvest. He said, pray for that. But then you know what he did? He turned around and said, okay, guys, I want you to go two by two. It wasn't just the immediate 12 that he sent out. It was 70 of, of the disciples that went out, 70 disciples, go out two by two, go into all the towns, all the villages. I want you to declare the kingdom of God. I want you to heal the sick and do all of these things. He said, pray, but now go. And this is what's going to happen. David prayed, and then he was going to go. Now listen, it tells us this, that David asked God, verse 2, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? David didn't tell God what he was going to do. He asked God what he should do. There's a huge difference. How many of you have your plans? You have your agenda. You have what you want to do. And so often when we go to prayer, we say, God, now here's what I'm telling you I'm going to do. God says, you want to do it, do it. Go ahead. In fact, on one occasion, as the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, they said, we, we, you know, we're, we're out here wandering in the wilderness. Just go into the land of Canaan. God says, go. Go ahead. Told Moses. Moses, go ahead. Lead them up. Take them to the promised land, go ahead, but I'm not going with you. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. There is a reason your people, these people are wandering in the wilderness right now because they're so rebellious, they can't be trusted with the new land. They're so rotten on the inside. I've got to work something out of them. In fact, it's going to take an entire generation dying off and the new generation going in and doing something about it. That's a powerful thing. He says, but go ahead. You want to go? Go. But I'm not going with you. Remember Moses? Moses pleaded, oh God, if you're not going, we're not going. I'm not. I cannot. We cannot go without you. 
We cannot do this thing without you. Brothers and sisters, prayer is not telling God what you're going to do. Prayer is asking God what it is that He wants you to do. And then you fall in line with what it is that God is calling you to do. Now, it just happened to be that, that David and God were on the same wavelength. That David and God were hearing, you know, from each other at this point because David had in his heart, we got to do something about this need over here. We've got to change the situation because if we don't, something really, really terrible is going to happen and result uh, come as, as a result of all of what's happening here. So God, I'm coming to you. I'm asking, should I? And God says, go for it. Go for it. But here's something else that we have to encounter and we have to deal with in prayer. We have to overcome when we pray and when we call upon God and when we pray before the battle, we also then have to pray against fear. So pray before the battle and then pray against fear. I believe it was President Franklin Roosevelt. You know, these presidents, they make sometimes such really good speeches and it's usually because they've got a really great speechwriter behind them uh, who has given them the speech. You know, John Kennedy asked not what you can do for your country what, what your, or what, you, what your country can do for you, what you can do for your country. Really good stuff, but I don't think he wrote it. He just said it. But Franklin Roosevelt said, I believe it was him, says we don't have, uh, what it is is we we. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. And many times, even as believers, fear is your worst enemy. It isn't what, the, what we think the devil will do. It's, it's not what the devil is going to do. Because you know what? The bottom line is Jesus defeated the devil on the cross. He is powerless to be able to do anything. All he can do is lie to you. It's like what some old, old believer said, didn't know a great deal, said, you know, the devil's like a, a toothless dog. All he can do is gum you. He can't bite. There's no, there's no bite in there. There's nothing. He can't tear anything away. All he can do is gum you, like tickles or something. You know, it just you, the devil can't do anything. All he can do is lie. So we sometimes fear. Now listen to what happens in verses 3 and 4. Here's, here's the but that David didn't like to hear about. The ifs, ands, or buts. Here it is. But David's men said to him. Now, these are mighty warriors. These are fighting men. These are not, you know, these guys didn't sit around knitting all day. Not that they have anything against knitting. I'm just saying. <laughs> these dudes were sharpening their swords all day. You know, they were, they were ready Except when they realized what it was that God was telling David to do, they said, wait a minute. You know, David, we didn't hear from God. What's up with this? David's men said to him here in Judah, we are afraid. We're afraid. How much more then if we go to Cala against the Philistine forces? Remember, this indicates that they were saying the entire Philistine army is over there just completely trying to wipe out this little town. And we're 600 men, and we're going to go out there, and we're going to go fight against all of these 
guys, and David, this is, this is insanity. It's suicide. Please don't make us do this. We are afraid. We're afraid. Warriors saying, this is crazy. We're afraid of, of what's going to happen. Their fear, notice this, was based on physical fact. It was based on a physical fact. They were 600 men against what seems to indicate the entire Philistine army. We don't know how many that is. The Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't, doesn't need it, but it just indicates here they felt they were outnumbered. They felt that they were outnumbered and they were overpowered. They weren't able to do anything. If you look, brothers and sisters, at the outward appearance, you will have every reason to fear when the battle comes in that moment and in that day. You will have every reason to be afraid. If you only look in the flesh, if you only look at your situation, you will have every reason to walk away and to cower in a corner of what it is that God is trying to get you to do and move out in the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish for His kingdom. If you look at the flesh, you will be afraid. And these men were afraid. If you focus, if your focus is on you and on your enemy, then you will never be able to overcome fear. Now, their fear was not based on spiritual knowledge. David had the spiritual knowledge. He had a word from God. And sometimes we get a word from God, we hear from God, but at the same time, the enemy charges in and says, but what about this? Huh? What are you going to do about this? But I got a word from the Lord. I, I always remember, uh, I remember Pastor Impaglia, Sister Impaglia, when it was that, that their son Sam, my brother-in-law Sam, when he was so far from God, just off the deep end, just going all over the place, the, the word of the Lord came to her heart. She said, I hung on to that word. And it seemed like Sam just went further and further into the world, doing his own thing, having his own way, doing whatever it was that he wanted to do in life. She said, I hung on to the word of the Lord. Well, you know the story. Many of you do, at least. When, when Sam moved to Chicago, some of you, actually about half of you do now, as I look at the congregation. When Sam, my brother-in-law Sam, moved to Chicago, he came to Chicago, and it wasn't Shortly after that, that he turned his life around and, and gave his heart to the Lord. I remember one day he said, I was on my way to, to college. And he said, I pulled out a cigarette. And he goes, I looked at it and he says, I don't need these things. He said, I threw them out the window on my way to school. He said, I never picked up one since. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what God is able to do in a moment the enemy comes along and says, oh, no, he's too far gone. That son or that daughter, they're too far in the depths of despair and sin. There is no way they're going to get out of it. I want you to know you need not fear what it is that the devil might be appearing to do. You can trust in the word that God has given to you. God gave David a word, and that's what was going to be fulfilled, not the fear of the situation. Now, notice... Here it is. There's one more thing before we get to how David handled this. They feared being outnumbered and overpowered. And the enemy oftentimes comes from all sides. Like surround. It's like the prophet Elisha when he woke up that morning or his servant woke him up 
and said, Elisha, you got to come see what's happened here. We're in the city of Dothan. Dothan's a small little place, walled city. But nonetheless, the king of Samaria had sent an entire army to surround the whole city. All the way around. Please, Elisha, something's going to give here. And you know what? This is not going to turn out the way we want it to turn out. And Elisha looked up and he said, I want to tell you something. We appear to be outnumbered. But listen, they that are with us are more than those that are with them. And the Bible says that Elisha prayed in that moment. He did what any of us should do. He prayed in that moment. And he prayed that the servant of the Lord, or the servant of the man of God, his eyes would be opened. And when they were, the Bible says that he looked up and he saw surrounding that big army all around in the heavenlies, chariots of, uh, and horses of fire and, and the armies of God that were present in the heavenlies and in the spiritual realm. And he said, okay, we're going to turn out just fine because I want you to know the enemy says you're outnumbered, you're out overpowered, but those that are with you are more than those that are with them. The devil comes along and breathes, breathes his threats, but when you have God on your side, you are able to do great and mighty things in and through him. So what did David do with this message of fear? With all the negativity. David, we're afraid. What's the matter with you? You're mighty men. In fact, some of these same guys are going to be listed in 2 Samuel and in Chronicles and in, in, in the books of Chronicles. They're going to be listed as some of David's mighty men. But right now, there's still mighty men in the making. God's making them mighty men. You know, he hasn't quite worked everything out. We're afraid, David. David doesn't come alongside of them and say, you know, what's the matter with you guys? I got a word from the Lord. You know what he does? He prays again. He prays. He doesn't resort to any kind of tactic, any kind of fleshly tactic. He says, fine, let, let me pray. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, once again, David inquired of the Lord. He's like, all right, if I missed it, I missed it, but let's go back to see what God has to say. He inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, go down to Cala, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hands. Brothers and sisters, when fear comes charging at you, you charge right back with prayer. You don't charge back with your own answers and your own ideas. You simply go to the Lord in prayer and let God come in that situation to to push down and push away any fear that enters your heart. Brothers and sisters, fear is not something that will bring about the result that God has for you to bring about. Fear will never accomplish what the kingdom needs to have accomplished. It will only be accomplished when we get a word from heaven and then we operate in faith and we say, God, I'm going to trust in you for the results. I'm going to trust in you to bring about what it is that you have for my life. Fear cannot change it. It's only the power of God in and through your life. We have to pray against fear. Pray before the battle. Pray against fear. And then there's one final thing. Pray in the face of life's inequities. Pray in the face of life's inequities. Those things where we would cry foul. Oh, kids are so quick to say, it's no fair. 
don't know how many times I hear my kids say, no fair. Of course, usually when you're the younger one, no fair. I, I was the youngest. I don't know how many times in my life I went to my mother and said, but it's no fair, you know. We're always looking for fairness, equality. In fact, we have made a society that seems to think that everything is fair and should be fair. There is the pervading attitude that that should be the way it is. That, brothers and sisters, is not reality. There will never be fairness in this world because there is a devil who is out to destroy. As long as the devil is still here, at work in the world, prince of the power of the air, there will be poverty, there will be things that will, you know, injustice, there will be all kinds of things that will come along. There will be things that will not appear to be fair, and no amount of it is ever going to be fixed by the government. None of it. Trust me. They'll try, but it won't happen. Here we are in verse 7. And all of a sudden, word gets back to Saul. Guess what? David is down fighting the Philistines in Caleb. Now, Saul, as a good king, would have said, what's going on at Caleb? Why are the Philistines there? Well, let's go down and fight them. But remember, Saul was off the deep end at this point. Saul didn't care about, he didn't care about his own people. All he cared about was how it seemed and appeared that David won favor of the people after Goliath had been killed. The people put him in a parade and said, Saul slain his thousands, David is tens of thousands. What? He's slain 9,000 more than me? Mm, no fair. And Saul got so upset, he made it his mission as king, rather than to do what God wanted him to do, he was now going to chase after this guy David who had been anointed to be the next king. Saul was told that David had gone to Caleb, and he said, God, God, of all things, he brings God into this. God has handed him over to me. See, you can use God to, to kind of condone pretty much anything you're about to do. Be careful. Be very careful. Dave, for David has imprisoned himself entering a town with gates and bars, and Saul called up all his forces, think of it, for battle. Now, if David's mighty men and David's men, 600, were afraid of the Philistines, just think what's going to happen when all of a sudden now they hear, uh-oh, not only we had to deal with the Philistines, and we won, not only did that happen, but guess what? Now here comes Saul. Saul's coming after us, and we're down here. But let's just skip forward a little bit. The Bible says this, David inquired of the Lord again. He calls upon God and says, listen, is Saul going to, going to take care of me? Is Saul going to come down after me? And the answer was, yes, he will. No fair. I just did, God, I, you know, God, I don't understand this. I just did what you wanted me to do. God, I came down here. I came and helped people. God, I just, I just fed the hungry. God, I just taught children's church. God, I have been faithful to church. I've only missed five Sundays this whole year. 
no fair. How come I have to deal with this news now? How come it's going to be this way? God, I just helped the people of this city. Yet God allows Saul to get wind that David is down there. And God tells David, yes, if you stay here and continue to help. Now, whatever David had accomplished, he had accomplished. But he says, if you stick around here, Saul's going to come. But God, you shouldn't let him. See, this is our modern, postmodern thinking coming in. That shouldn't happen. God, that's not fair. There's no fairness here. You see, God, I don't, I, God, listen, I don't ever find in Scripture where God's main quality, his main characteristic is he is fair or should appear fair to us human beings. You see, God is not like us, folks. If we could somehow get in our heads and in our minds that God is so much unlike us, and the more that our political views and all of these things come to, to bear in our world, listen, God is not like your political party. Ouch. Nobody said amen to that. I'm surprised. Whatever political party I adhere to, it's none of your business. I say God is unlike my political party. God's not in politics. God is God. He's running the universe. Don't worry about what you think is fair or unfair. And listen, God tells David, David, listen, yeah, he's going to come down there. And I'm going to let him. You know what? God was directing David's life in a situation here where God wasn't about to preserve him in the sense of, oh, let me protect David from all harm and all problems. See, that's our view. That's what we want. That's not reality. That's not the reality of the world, the fallen world that we live in, and that's not the reality of how faith develops. Oh, you know I'm going there. We, we just somehow want to have a life of ease. How in the world are you ever going to trust, truly trust God when the bad things hit if all God does is put you in a tiny little bubble and let you roll around in the world in a tiny little bubble that never has any problems and never has any difficulties and you're just swirling around and everything is fine. It doesn't work like that. Faith is born in adversity. Faith grows in the difficulty. Faith is able in the midst of your struggles and difficulties to rise above. That's the only way. It's not the fairness that we often worry about. Listen, there was nothing fair about what was going to happen. And it goes on. In fact, the people he had helped, get this, the Bible says, were going to betray him. Oh, imagine that. David saw a need. He said, you know what? The Philistines have come and they have attacked this town. And they are, they're probably killing people, hauling people away prisoner. We don't know. The Bible says and it reveals that they were stealing their food. They were going to the threshing floor and the grain, which was vital for flour and, and all of the things that they would, you know, the, the very basics of life, of being able to, to have food. All of a sudden, that's being, that's being stolen. And David says, we've got to do something about it, God. What do you want me to do? You want me to go down or no? Go down. Okay, God. In the face of fear, God, should we go? Yep, go. Okay, we're going. 
They all go down and they, they fight and they, they're winning the battle. And now all of a sudden he gets word Saul's coming down and he, he inquires of the Lord about that. Yep, he'll come down. Okay, but God, next question, are these people going to give me up to him? Yep. That's not fair. Nothing fair about it. But that's what's going to happen. How many of you have been met with unfair things? Things in your life that just are unfair. What are you going to do with them? What are you going to do about it? You're going to sit and stew in your juices and be mad and be angry and be bitter and let all of those things happen and blame God and point your finger at God. God's, God, Listen, God wants to, to help faith to grow in your life. Listen, it's only done in the difficult things and the difficult lives or in the, the difficult situations in our lives that, that that can happen. But now on top of Saul coming, God says, yes, they're going to they're gonna just totally betray you, David. But I help them, God. Yes, and they're happy. But they don't love you that much, David, yet. And guess what? And here's the other thing. We forget. Saul was their king. Who were they? they were, these people operated now on fear. God knows the hearts of those that are around them. He knew what was happening in their hearts and in their minds. Who are they going to fear the most? David? Or the king of the land who has his entire battle forces coming against them. Oh, yeah, we're going to side with David. Fine, we'll kill you. Saul was not beyond that. Saul went into a town of priests and killed every last one of them because David had come to that town. So they knew the reputation of this wicked, wicked king. Are they going to give me up? Oh, yeah. You better get out of there, son. And that's exactly what he did. You see, God is one step ahead of the enemy, and he will put you one step ahead of the enemy if you will stay in tune with him and you will pray and you will call upon God. You don't have to be afraid and quit sitting there crying, you know, rivers of tears about how unfair it may seem. Forget fair. Fair is not a concern of yours. What is a concern is being one step ahead of the enemy and having faith to move on to the next battle because there's going to be another one. It's not, listen, the Bible reveals to us over and over again, it's not about if the, another battle is going to come. It's just a matter of when. When the battle comes, you've got to be ready. I have to be ready. We have to be ready. But the only way that we can really be ready is to be in tune with the Spirit, be praying, pray before your battle, pray in the fear that, that comes against you oftentimes, either from the outside, somebody else, or even from within your own heart. You pray in the midst of it all, and when it seems as though life is not fair, you keep praying. And it's going to keep you one step ahead. I want us to bow our heads. I want the musicians just come back if you would.